It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. A couple of news stories out of Cincinnati will be our lead story for today's Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Joe Goodberry. Longtime Bengals linebacker Jim LeClaire has passed away. LeClaire battled Alzheimer's for the past few years, passed away on November 4th at the age of 69. LeClaire played for the Bengals from 1972 until 1983. He also played two years with the New Jersey Generals of the USFL League. Uh, Captain and a leader on the defensive side of the ball, LeClaire played linebacker and had some of his big moments in the playoffs and Super Bowl runs for those 80s Bengals teams. Credited with 158 games played and 128 starts, LeClaire was also credited with 10 interceptions and 10 fumble recoveries in that span. Jim LeClaire made the Pro Bowl in 1976 and in 1981 was the starting linebacker for the Bengals when they beat the Chargers in the Freezer Bowl and went on to play the 49ers in Super Bowl 16, losing 26-21. LeClaire was honored with, well, he's not in the Ring of Honor because the Bengals don't have one, but when they did do their 50-year anniversary, he was honored with the greats that played in Cincinnati. A graduate from the University of North Dakota, LeClaire was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1999. He also served as a reserve United States Army from 72 to 77. Rest in peace, number 55. In other news, the Bengals signed linebacker Brady Sheldon to the practice squad. Sheldon played college football at Ferris State and was an undrafted free agent in 2017, spent some time on the practice squad of the Oakland Raiders and more recently with the Green Bay Packers. Sheldon is 26 years old. He is 6 foot 5 at 231 pounds and is extremely athletic based on the testing dug up by our co-host here, Jake Lisko. Sheldon ran a 4.52 at his Pro day in the 40-yard dash, had elite jumping, 89th percentile in the vertical, 95th percentile in the broad jump. This is weighing at 220 at 6 foot 5. These are numbers, as Jake pointed out on his Twitter feed, much like a safety. So if he can harness that, if they can develop him coming from a smaller school like Ferris State, a Division II university, they may have something here in Brady Sheldon. But it's nice to see them making a move at linebacker this late in the year, especially for guys that have maybe some upside Uh, developmental upside as they're big and athletic. These are the type of guys I'd like to see them sign and bring on. Very often, these are when the teams that are high on the pecking order, while Sheldon wasn't a waiver claim, this is when you can keep some guys or or acquire some guys from other rosters around the league that are maybe a little more talented as they have to cut down to get healthy or to get a position of need as other teams are making their playoff runs. The Bengals are an advantage right now at being high on the waiver wire where they can start bringing some of these guys in to see if they have anything for the next few years. In other related news around the league, Gardner Minshew has been benched in Jacksonville. Nick Foles will regain his starting job. And 2011 first overall pick Cam Newton is on IR and he'll be out for the rest of the year for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, That's a big draft. And if you remember, Andy Dalton obviously just benched for the Bengals. 
looking back at that draft with the success of those two still playing in the league, being the most two successful quarterbacks that are still active, it's a interesting end that it happens almost at the same time for the two of them that have largely been compared because of the same draft, but because their passing numbers, their wins and losses, th- those are pretty close in comparables to each other. I looked at that today on Twitter and, and talked a little bit about those comparables and how, even though both are considered average passers, the real difference in that is Cam's ability to make plays, to run, to carry a team on his back a little bit more than Andy Dalton, and how that's probably worth the first overall pick in any draft as the Bengals enter that range and are looking at that themselves this offseason. Keep that in mind when we look at quarterbacks that are a little bit more athletic, but maybe not as refined as passers. In this scenario, it didn't break Cam down any sooner than it broke down Andy Dalton. They both dealt with injuries. Uh, They both never became much more than above-average passers. That 2015 year was magical for both of them. That's when Cam Newton won the MVP. That's when it knocked Andy Dalton uh, from his best chance of having postseason success, the same success that Cam uh, ultimately was able to achieve in the postseason. So just looking at that and that situation, fitting that it comes to a close more than likely for both of those guys with their respective franchises at the same time. For the first time this year, we're checking back in with a team that we already spoke to as the Bengals play the Ravens this week. It's Crossover Wednesday, so when we come back from this, you'll also hear the voice of Kevin Ostriker, who does the Lockdown Ravens, and we'll talk Bengals-Ravens again. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. We have Locked On Bengals here with Joe Goodberry of Locked On Bengals. Joe, how are you today? Well, me personally, I'm perfect, but uh, representing the Bengals here for this podcast, we are doing terrible, unless you're trying to lose, and I think a lot of us are at this point. (laughs) Well, these teams have been on two very different paths this season. The Ravens just knocking off the New England Patriots. The Bengals had a bye last week, but their prior week, they ended up losing to the Los Angeles Rams, and this is our second time talking, Joe. The first game the Ravens ended up taking from the Bengals, 23-17 at home, in a game that was a bit closer than people expected it to be what were your immediate takeaways from that game yeah and I think it starts with that kickoff right right away for the Bengals and Brandon Wilson's been a a great returner for the Bengals since then Uh, and you know without that then it's it's a much different game Bengals scored 10 and that's kind of how they've been this year where maybe it's one quarter of the season I, I mean one quarter of a game they will have 10 points, and then that's it for them. You just don't see them get into the red zone or get points from being in the red zone the rest of the game. And and that was my feeling coming away from that was just while Lamar Jackson, uh, Mark Andrews had a couple of big plays while the linebackers just couldn't cover, the Bengals just seemed completely unprepared for any read option stuff, any option stuff uh, as in general. And I saw today a stat that the Bengals played 
20% more man coverage than their normal usage against the Ravens. And every other team has played more zone coverage in order to have eyes on the backfield and Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. You play with man, you end up running downfield, and Jackson runs free. So the Bengals, if they're trying to tank, that's a great way to do it. <laughs> Definitely. And, I mean, looking at the box score for this game, you look at the team stats, the 23 23- the 23-17 to 17 box score doesn't do it justice because while the box score does look close, the Ravens had almost 500 total yards of offense with 497 while the Bengals were actually held to 250 by that Ravens defense. You look at the rushing stats, the Ravens had 6.3 yards per rush, which has been the story for the Ravens for the season, but the Bengals only were able to muster 2.4 on the ground. And when you talk about the Ravens rushing offense, Joe, I mean— the Ravens have been killing it. They're leading the NFL in rushing right now with 204.9 yards per game. The next closest is San Francisco with 171.1 yards per game. Now, when you saw Lamar Jackson play this Bengals defense, Joe, what did you see out of him? And is there room for improvement for him to come back this week and do even better? Yeah, I guess there is. And he, and he did good. But uh, the Bengals just at that time where they wanted to give Jermaine Pratt, their third round rookie, more snaps. And they were doing that, but he was kind of all over the place, and that didn't help. You got to play gap sound. You have to be responsibility sound in this defense when you're going against any type of option. It's 11 on 11. Normally, anytime you're defending a running game for a regular quarterback, it's 11 versus 10. You don't count the quarterback. He hands it off, runs away, right, or, or backs away. It, it's it makes it much harder for an undisciplined defense, and, and they typically are. They have been for the last few years to really play an entire game without giving up that play. And when, when I remember watching the film, Jackson's just reading that first guy and just whatever you choose, I'm going to do the opposite. And it worked almost every single time. So I do think there are times where, uh, yeah, bigger plays could happen, more could happen. But I, I felt like the Ravens, even though this ended up being a close game, in my memory, I felt like they had a good game. And this was the game defensively, and we'll talk Ravens defensive side, but I felt like defensively, this is when the Ravens got on track for the second half of the season so far. And it for that, the Ravens didn't have to do anything on offense in terms of push the ball downfield or actually come from behind at any point or besides that first drive and really never really felt threatened at any point. So they were allowed to play their game the entire time. And I think that just you had the Bengals on their heels and they could never really uh, try to do anything crazy. Yeah. And this was the game where Mark Andrews had six receptions. For 99 yards. He also had a fumble in this game, that hurdle fumble, which was That's right. quite weird. And that was the game where Marquise Brown was out with his ankle injury. That was the first game out of two that he ended up missing. So Lamar Jackson kind of spread the ball around. Miles Boykin had two receptions. Seth Roberts had another two. Ingram, Boyle, Chris Moore, all those guys had two receptions. With the with Hollywood Brown coming back this week and being healthy, he wasn't there for the first game against Cincinnati. He brings that speed. He brings the ability to take a safety out of the box because you have to honor that speed. Now, Joe, do the Bengals have anybody who can contain Hollywood Brown on the outside? Is there a speedy guy who they can put on him and kind of clamp him down? Or do you expect the Bengals to kind of rotate their cornerbacks and just put safety help over the top? Yeah, I feel like Hollywood would have run a 4-3 flat or if not better at the combine had he not been injured, right? Um, the fastest guy for the Bengals on the secondary is William Jackson, a 4-3-7 type guy with really good d- downfield ball skills. So he's been the guy that has been able to to stay with speed like T.Y. Hilton and, and Antonio Brown. Those guys been no problem for him. Uh, but at the same time, the Bengals typically play just one side with their corners. Very rarely have they tracked and followed number one type receivers. And I, I think I would treat the Ravens that way in this game because and you really don't have to worry about the other two guys or, or one, depending on you know the formation the Ravens are out there. I'd put Jackson on 
Hollywood and say, you follow him wherever he goes. You're our best match for this. Because the other guys may be Darquez Denard and B.W. Webb, not known for speed. Webb's okay, but Denard really, you know, if you end up one-on-one with him, I take my shot every time against him. He's probably running a a 4-6 at this point in his career. So um, for me, that's how I would play if I was the Bengals. Say, William Jackson, you're on him. And But at the same time, like I said, Bengals playing more man coverage doesn't really help against the Ravens offense. You kind of have to play zone, which is why Hollywood is such a great fit for this offense, because defenses are going to say, okay, we can't just lock a, uh, our number one on him. We're going to play more zone coverage, and we're going to want to defend the run, so we want to get that safety in the box. It means you're ending up with one deep free safety, and like you said, Hollywood could take the top off of that, and I think they're going to get their couple chances this week. I'm looking now at the Cincinnati defense against the I'm looking now against the Cincinnati defense in this game against the Ravens in week six. I mean, you have to look at Nick Vigil's performance, 13 total tackles. And on the year, he's been a guy who has 65 total tackles, been kind of, in my opinion, the heart of that defense. Am I right on there, or is there somebody else who you would kind of identify as someone who's been a better player in that defense for the Bengals this year? There's been better players. The thing is, the production for Vigil is that he plays almost every snap, and he runs around a lot. He's got a high motor. He misses a lot of tackles. Uh, he oftentimes, if he's got to go to a second read or or any misdirection like that, he can be lost. For me, if I'm looking at someone on defense, it's still Geno Atkins, but a defensive tackle really at his age now, and, and he's on the back half of his career for sure, he doesn't always show up every drive, and he doesn't take over games as, as much as he used to. So for me, I think the underrated guy is Sean Williams at strong safety. And Jesse Bates, while he hasn't been grading well for, for PFF, the last few weeks has been running around like crazy and, and hitting people and tackling much better. So I'll take that right now for them, the safeties. And I think the safeties have to play much better this week versus the Ravens offense. Definitely. And I mean, let's talk about some injuries on this Bengals defensive side of the ball. We saw Drake or Patrick get carted off with an injury against the Ravens. Are there any other injuries that the Ravens should be concerned about? And how is Kirkpatrick doing? Kirkpatrick's still out. He's got a couple weeks, probably. Um, they Since then, they've gotten back to our Quesnard, who was on the pup list. So that's a little bit of a boost. Kirkpatrick's a wild card. While he's been a solid player for them, for the most part. Um, Denard can challenge him as a starter, in my opinion. So uh, they're, they're probably not losing much there. The Bengals are actually getting as healthy as they've been all year. Probably this, actually, I would say this is the most healthy they've been because they got hurt right away in, in rookie minicamp losing Jonah Williams and then in training camp losing a bunch of players. So uh, getting AJ Green back this week, uh, getting back Cordy Glenn possibly, even though we'll get more practice report on Wednesday, but sounds like he's been out there. Just generally, Carl Lawson. Um, getting back Carlos Dunlap, who missed a couple weeks. They are at the point right now where it looks like if they're going to start winning some games, we're going to get to the Bengals' offensive side and the quarterback change in the next segment. But this defense is going to be in its best shape probably all year, and they're going to have to put it together and have their best game if they really want a chance to win this. Yeah, and you talk about Carlos Dunlap, and I want to get into that Bengals' pass rush a bit because in the game against Baltimore in Week 6, Lamar Jackson was only sacked one time for eight yards, and the Bengals right now currently rank second to last in the entire league with just nine sacks. The Ravens' offensive line has been performing a lot better than most people would have hoped. There were some concerns on the interior of that line that maybe Matt Skurr at the center position wasn't fit to be a starter. The Ravens handed Bradley Bozeman the left guard starting job after Jermaine Illuminor pretty much handed it back to him. And I want to get your opinion here, Joe, because Lamar Jackson is so hard to take down. He can get out of the pocket in so many different ways. 
Gino, you mentioned Geno Atkins, and I just talked about Carlos Dunlap. Do you expect the Bengals to have their coming out party here against Lamar Jackson in terms of sacks, or is this another game where you just can't get to him? Dunlap didn't play the last time, and it was Carl Lawson getting his first or second start of his career, and he ended up missing a couple weeks after that with a bad hammy because he he just played too many snaps. Uh, Hubbard, their other end, is a solid role player right now, better against the run, so-so, I I would say. Uh, Having that third rusher, so getting Dunlap back, and you've got Lawson and Hubbard with Geno Atkins, that completes their unit, and we really haven't seen that enough this year. We've gotten maybe a maybe two or three games where they're all healthy. And so getting that this week, I would say yes, but at the same time, you can't uh, get out of your rush lane against Lamar. You kind of have to contain him and want to keep him in the pocket, even though he's a fine pocket passer. A lot of people that don't watch him every week probably don't realize that. But, you know, you you say keep him in the pocket. That's only to prevent big running plays. You know, it's not that he's that much worse of a thrower. Actually, all the statistics are much better in the pocket. My point being is if you want to keep him from – getting out there and making some crazy run against your slow linebackers, you should probably keep them in the pocket. Definitely. When we come back, we're going to be flipping the field, talking about the Bengals' offense against that Ravens' defense, so stay tuned. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, Joe Goodberry here with the Locked On Bengals podcast. It is crossover Wednesday with Kevin Ostriker from the Locked On Ravens podcast. It's the first time all year we've, uh, for the Bengals' perspective, we've talked to the same person or same team as this is the first time the Bengals are playing their second uh, game against a division opponent with the Ravens here already. And, man, the Ravens, they're coming off a hot win, obviously. I think the whole country watched that as Maybe little expectation from the outside. I wonder how you guys were feeling, especially you, Kevin, going into that game against the Patriots. Was it something like, well, let's see what they can do? Or was it more like, I think we can beat this team? You know, for me, in my final score prediction, I predicted the Ravens to lose. But in my heart, I kind of knew they had it in them to do it. I mean, if you're talking about a team that's built to beat the Patriots, it's the Ravens. And it's because the Patriots have struggled against mobile quarterbacks, although they were very successful against first and second year guys. Lamar Jackson actually snapped a very long streak of the Patriots being able to dominate those guys. And what we saw is that the Patriots defense can be exposed a bit in terms of the run game. They don't play the run as well as they play the pass. You know, they have Stephon Gilmore, Devin McCourty, JC Jackson in that backfield. And I believe that with the way the Ravens played the Patriots, and they got up to that 17 nothing lead in the first quarter. That was unprecedented. I didn't even expect them to do that well. But when you talk about Lamar Jackson and how he's developed as a passer, you can't just put seven defensive backs on the field and expect Lamar Jackson to run every player hand the ball off. He's improved on his accuracy, improved on his decision-making. And it's just been something where Lamar has just matured. And that's what you expect out of second-year guys coming from their first to second year. He now has an offense tailored around him and Greg Roman. He's learning game by game. And with the Patriots being undefeated, you know, some some expected Lamar Jackson to shrink under the bright lights. Well, he stood out. He looked so cool, so calm, made the right decisions. There was a fourth and four to Willie Sneed on an out where he just placed the ball perfectly. Lamar Jackson sometimes doesn't have the 
best statistical games in terms of throwing the ball or in terms of running the ball. But when you look beyond the box score and just look at how he maneuvers the offense, how he's become a leader, it's really something to see. Yeah, it is for sure. And uh, since we saw you guys last, the Ravens bolstered that defense a little bit. Not only did they get Jimmy Smith back at corner, but they traded for Marcus Peters from the Rams. I mean, right at this point, if you remember last game, Marlon Humphrey shut down Tyler Boyd in the slot. It was really Odd and Tate on the outside making a couple crazy grabs, uh, more than a couple. It seemed like five of them were just uh, insane diving grabs. But now the Ravens have bolstered that that secondary. It actually was that game that made me think about, well, of course they got Peters because they kept um, attacking that one corner. I can't remember his name now that, that just was completely out of his zone. And so looking at this, how has Peters been for that defense getting Jimmy Smith back? Is that the biggest thing or is it like, they signed Josh Bynes also at linebacker off the street. And all of a sudden this defense as a whole has played so much better since then. Yeah. I mean, this defense has taken a complete turn since that week four game against Cleveland. And, you know, we talked about how the Bengals played the Ravens in week six and that cornerback, the name you can't remember is Maurice Kennedy. He was actually released yesterday in favor of DeAnthony Thomas. He had been out with an injury, but you're right. Auden, this was Auden Tate's coming out party. When you talk about the Ravens week six game against the Bengals, I mean, Tate absolutely dominated Kennedy. I mean, dominated every corner on the field. Tate ended up having five receptions for 91 yards, catching everything in his vicinity. And with, Jimmy Smith coming back with Marcus Peters coming into the fold with you already have Marlon Humphrey and Brandon Carr gives you so many options. Brandon Carr has actually been playing a lot of safety recently. He tried it out in the preseason because the Ravens had three stud cornerbacks with Carr, Smith and Humphrey. And what Brandon Carr was doing was kind of dropping back and he can play really any position. He's a dime linebacker now. He also can play slot cornerback safety. So that allows Jimmy Smith to go to the outside. And they've actually been using Marlon Humphrey in the slot. We saw it with Tyler Boyd. He shut down Tyler Lockett, Julian Edelman. He was on a lot. And Edelman, he did say, was his toughest test, which, I mean, Julian Edelman's a fantastic receiver. So, of course. But also, Jimmy Smith is just getting eased back into the action. He was spelled a bit with Anthony Averett, who has struggled a bit. But the key is just to keep Jimmy Smith healthy. He's on the wrong side of 30. He probably can't keep up with the workload he was keeping up with earlier in his career. And that's all right. The fact of the matter is the Ravens have enough depth where they can kind of sustain that and be able to put Jimmy Smith on the sideline so he doesn't have to play a full number of snaps. Now, that's where Marcus Peters comes into the fold. Against Seattle, he had the biggest play of the game with a pick six on Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's first interception of the year. And he said that he used his instincts on that play because he saw the exact same thing when Seattle was playing the Rams, which was the team he got traded from. Just two weeks earlier, he saw the same play, the same read, the same audible checkout, and he jumped the route, took it for six, and that arguably turned the game because the Seahawks were driving. What Peters brings is that boomer bust cornerback who takes risks, and that's what the Ravens need, someone who can make a play, flip the field. And the Ravens have so many different cornerbacks now who do so many different things, not to mention we have Earl Thomas in that backfield and Chuck Clark, who's a very smart and just intelligent football player. So the Ravens secondary is in very good shape right now. Yeah, just looking at it from the outside, right before they played last time, you guys just lost Tony Jefferson at safety. I was going to ask, my next question was going to be Chuck Clark. That's the unknown for us when we look at it on paper. Besides the smarts, what can you say? How's he been back there? He's been pretty good. During the season, he has 29 tackles. Ten of those have been assisted. He's a guy who's a thumper. He isn't really as agile or as fast as, uh, say, a Deshaun Elliott, who was going to kind of be a tandem with Chuck Clark and take over for Tony Jefferson. They, The original plan for the Ravens was they were going to use Deshaun Elliott and they were going to use Chuck Clark. 
as kind of the one-two punch where Chuck Clark would come up as a dime linebacker, kind of what we're seeing with Brandon Carr. And then Elliott would kind of play that strong safety role from the back end because he's a ball-hawking guy. Mm -hmm. Well, Deshaun Elliott ended up getting hurt. He is now out for the season. So it's really been a combination of Clark playing the back end and Brandon Carr being that dime linebacker now because the Ravens have had to adjust to so many injuries in that secondary. The Ravens' best slot cornerback, Tavon Young, was out for the season even before the season started. So the Ravens have had to deal with a lot of blows in that secondary. And what Chuck Clark brings to this team is just a young guy who's intelligent. I mentioned it before. He's just a guy who knows the defense. He actually has the green dot on defense because of just how intelligent he is. And that's a big honor for him because he really wasn't seeing the field as much as people would have liked because the Ravens' depth on their secondary is so deep when it's fully healthy with Jefferson, with Tavon Young, with Deshaun Elliott, with all those guys. So the fact that Clark has been able to come in, be a calming presence on that defense, not be overwhelmed by having so much responsibility, it's been a refreshing sight for the Ravens. Yeah, and getting his first NFL start, replacing Andy Dalton, who... When you look at Dalton's stats versus the AFC North, he's actually had some decent success versus the Ravens. So I don't know if we'll ever get to see him play the Ravens in a, in a Bengals uniform again, but it will be Ryan Finley this week, the rookie out of NC State, and he's got his work cut out for him. That is a good secondary right now. But at the same time, he gets A.J. Green for the first time all year. It looks like he's going to be ready to go. It looks like Cordy Glenn will be ready to go on the offensive line. They'll also get John Miller back at right guard. Yeah. I'm looking at it like, okay, if Green can, you know, shake free of Marlon Humphrey, who I think has had a lot of success on him, really, last year was that um, week three or week two uh, Sunday night game where A.J. Green had three touchdowns to start the game, and the most of them were when Humphrey wasn't on him. So you, when I look at it, I say, okay, Humphrey's probably going to shadow Green a little bit, try and take him away. Uh, and, and if not, then you got Peters and Smith anyways. You probably feel really good. But I'm looking at the pass rush and how it can disrupt Ryan Finley. When you look at Ryan Finley's numbers at NC State and you look into his deeper stuff like what, what PFF had, he was one of the lower-graded guys when it came to pressure and throwing deep. So two things right there that, that makes me think, well, maybe they're, they're not going to have the big plays that they have traditionally had against the Ravens, number one. And number two, this pass rush. Really, is it still Matt Judon only? Looking at his numbers, he's got 30 total pressures based on PFF and four sacks. Where McPhee's in there with 14 total pressures. So I would say his is much more uh, scattered around. Whereas, is, is Judon still the one, and they're looking for somebody else to step in? Yeah, 100% here. You mentioned Pernell McPhee. He actually has an arm injury. He's done for the year. So the Ravens oh. are down to three healthy in three healthy outside linebackers on the year, two of which have not made an impact so far. Tyus Bowser, who is out of Houston, has been in the league for a few years. He hasn't done a ton. And then Jalen Ferguson, who actually got the starting nod over Bowser, he is a rookie out of Louisiana Tech, a third-round pick. His nickname is Sack Daddy, but so far, no sacks on the year for Sack Daddy. So it's been Matthew Judon, and if you saw his famous quote, built by Taco Bell, his body was built by Taco Bell on Sunday Night Football. <laughs> that was his pregame introduction for the Ravens' defense. But I did not notice that. Yeah, he's been a guy for the Ravens who is not getting really a fair shake in terms of his stats on the year. You mentioned his four sacks and his 30 quarterback pressures. He's a guy who excels when the quarterback holds on to the ball. He's not getting quick off the line, and he's not kind of making his first move right to the quarterback and getting him down within two seconds. But when the Ravens' secondary can clamp down 
and do its thing for a few seconds just based off of all the guys that the Ravens now have. The Ravens are now relying on Matthew Judon, and an underrated stat of his game is with all these Ravens injuries to the secondary, to the defense, it's making Matthew Judon play on special teams a lot. He's actually taking a lot of special team snaps. Same with Marlon Humphrey. So Judon is playing an an unbelievable amount of snaps for the production that he is putting on the field. And while it hasn't been the coming out sack party season that some expected out of Judon after Zedarius Smith had his sack party coming out in his contract year, and now in Green Bay, he's doing amazing. But the Ravens are relying on Judon because they just don't have anybody else at the moment who is stepping up. The Ravens were rumored to be in the market for a pass rusher, maybe a Vic Beasley, a Derek Wolf on the inside, Yannick Ngakwe. But they ultimately decided to stand pat and trust those guys. So with the Ravens ranking... With the Ravens ranking 27th in the league right now with 14 total sacks, they're tied with the Detroit Lions. They're going to need somebody to step up because Judon can't do it all by himself. Yeah. you have any questions on the Bengals' offense or you want to get to predictions? You know, I did have one for you, and it is right with that Andy Dalton-Ryan Finley thing. What was their initial reaction when a storied veteran such as Andy Dalton, who's poured his heart and soul into the city and has arguably declined in play. His play has not been the same for a few years now, but turning the ball over to Ryan Finley is, was this a move that was received well by Bengals nation and Bengals fans and even the team, or was there a bit of disrespect involved there? And do you think that, you know, Bengals fans thought that this was a little disrespectful? I think a lot of people felt it was disrespectful uh, and for a few ways. Number one, it was his birthday. So, uh, you know, you don't got to, yeah, it's 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 a business. It's a grown man league, but at the same time, you're on a bye week. You could have waited another day. You could have done it a day before. Also, the part is three hours before the trade deadline. I think that really struck a chord with Andy Dalton and some of the other players because it didn't give them an opportunity to trade them, and it didn't seem like they were really interested in trying to hammer anything out at, that quickly, anyways. So they pretty much just relegated them to backup and. From what it sounds like, Andy Dalton talked to Zach Taylor. Taylor said, it's not your fault. It's nothing you did. You helped keep this 0-8 team together. But we have to start looking towards the draft. And it's pretty much inevitable they're going to probably pick top three unless something crazy happens. So they're going to be in position to draft a guy. And we, at this point, when the evaluation is over on Dalton, we know what he is. Uh, he's not part of the future because they're going to start over with a new quarterback. What are you doing with him out there anyways? You might as well get Ryan Finley in there, see if he can be anything at all if he if he can't because you don't want to give him three games and he looks good and now you're deciding on three games of Ryan Finley versus a top five quarterback pick give him eight weeks if he looks like a mess then you know exactly where you're going and I think that would be enough time to decide just that yeah and I actually do have one more for you we talked about the Ravens pass rush uh, getting into the Bengals offensive line it wasn't in the best shape of its life when we talked last has it improved at all no, it's, it's it's still very bad. The only thing is getting healthy and getting John Miller back at right guard should help. Uh, they are letting Billy Price play at left guard, who was their first round pick last year. He hasn't been good, but at the same time, I don't care. You kind of have to figure out if he can be the guy. Again, we're in that evaluation mode where even if a guy is bad, but he's got the pedigree or the resources you've spent on him, you kind of have to play him and just figure out if he can be a foundational piece. And then at left tackle, it's been John Jerry, Andre Smith this year, but Cordy Glenn is healthy and practicing, even though they had a rift with the team. He has to be traded. That did not happen. It's in their best interest to play him and get something out of him. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, let's get right into these uh, predictions here. I think that, um, I mean, I, I have to ask the question, is this a game that the Bengals want to lose? Do they want to just keep the number one pick train going here? Or do you expect them to put up kind of a fight? What do you think this game ends up being? 
I don't think players and coaches ever want to lose. Uh, you know, it comes down to it's got to be taken out of your hands. And you see, like, how the Dolphins have done it and just trade guys away, let guys just walk or put players on IR that probably shouldn't be on injured reserve. So you can handle it and just put the worst team out there possible if you're a GM. The Bengals don't really have a GM. They've got a de facto guy in Duke Tobin that really doesn't get to make those kind of choices, in my opinion. So they're going to go out there with full strength, full steam, and try and get a win. No one wants to go 0-16. So if that means you get a win against a division team, fine. So I think they're going to go out there and give it everything they have. Uh, I think they'd like to get the monkey off their back. And I, I do think there is some eye on the future of it's not the worst thing if you lose, but let's see if we can win one. Right. And I totally agree with you. And I think that, you know, some fans here are a little worried that this could be a trap game coming off the ultimate high against beating New England. Yeah. And now, you know, we're going to traveling to Cincinnati where the Ravens have historically not played very well. And you have to understand that this is the NFL and any team on any given Sunday can come in, give you a run for your money and beat you regardless of record. So while I do think that there's a possibility here that the Ravens might accidentally play down to their opponents, I do not think it's going to happen. I think the Ravens will come out strong, come out, with everything that they have as well. And I think they're going to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. I'll say the final score here. I'll say 33 to 23 Ravens. And I'm going to say 27 to 7 Ravens. And I'm going to say that because a rookie quarterback getting his first start, I'm not expecting the most. But let's say A.J. Green gets a touchdown and everyone's happy. Yeah, I'm expecting a few garbage time touchdowns out of the Bengals. So I think that, you know, 33-23 might sound a bit generous, but, you know, I don't think it's actually as close as as the score says it will be right there. All right. So this is Joe Goodberry from the Locked On Bengals and Kevin Ostreicher from the Locked On Ravens. Thank you guys for joining us. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.